Welcome to Attorneys Are Human 2, Episode 10, Mailbox Money, featuring Chris Pomerlew Esquire. I'm your host, Steve Wallace, and we are joined by our co-host, Selena Music. Let's get right into it. We have a treat for you today. We have Chris Pomerlew with Park Avenue Capital. Hi, Chris. How you doing, Steve? Thanks for having me. Oh, truly a pleasure. And we also have our co-host, Selena Music. Hi, Selena. Hi. Okay, great. So Chris has the unique distinction of being both an attorney and a sophisticated real estate investor. So we're going to address both topics today on Attorneys Are Human too. Selena, you want to get started and ask Chris a question? Oh, I want to get started. I want to know how are you doing both of those things? Because real estate, it's, for me, it's a monster on its own. Yeah. And family law, it's like an emotional roller coaster. So to do both combined, I, I'm, already, I'm exhausted for you already. Yeah. I appreciate that. I would say drugs, caffeine, <laughs> that is. I have a lot of caffeine. Uh, but all jokes aside, it's just the power of delegation. Seriously. I mean, my paralegal is fantastic. So she really helps me in the law office. And we have a good system going already. And then within the real estate business, we just hired on an individual. So now there's three of us that are a part of the company. And then, of course, I really lean on my property managers and contractors and insurance agents and bankers. And although I'm managing them as well, that's how I'm able to kind of take it all down, if you will. So you have a good team. Very good team. That's it's much all about the team. team. Hey, hey, let me ask you, how did you get into family law. I mean, oh. you're a young guy. When I think family lawyers, no offense, I think of these older guys yeah. and they just, they've been through it all and, and they almost look beat up. Like they've dealt with a lot of family stuff themselves. <laughs> so, so what made you get into family law of all things? I think that that's a fair example of a family law attorney who's been doing it for a long time. I think that if I had to do it for that long, I would also look beat up. So I was, I was in the military from 2010 to 2013. Thank you for your right service, after law Chris. school. What's that? Thank you for your service, Oh, Chris. thank you, thank you. That was for three years or just short of that. And when I got out of the military, it, so I was in law school and then the military. So when I got out, I, I tried to find a job and they were asking for my experience. And I could paint my face and I could sleep in the forest and I could perhaps, you know, I was really fit, but law firms didn't care about any of that. And my first opportunity was at a one-stop shop, small shop, where I, I did a little bit of everything for about four months. And one of those things was family law. And I was lucky enough to then be hired by a, a national outfit that only did family law. And it's kind of where I've been since 2013. Oh, wow, Excellent. And, and what is the name of your firm, Chris? So the firm I'm at now is Nebraska Legal Group. And I've been with them since 2017. Okay, great. And you primarily practice family law? It's only family law. The firm only practices family law. So divorce, custody, adoption, guardianship, we only do family law. Okay, great. So I've, we, Celine and I, we have a lot of questions as it relates to that. So oh, my first question related to that, has there ever been a client that you say, wow, I, I understand why this person's getting divorced? And Every day. Go into a little more detail. <laughs> Every single day. If anything, it certainly taught me what not to do in a marriage. I'm, I'm married as well. 
It's my, yeah, it's mind blowing. It's really unfortunate. I mean, we're all people, right? So when you're, especially when you're stuck with being with one person for the rest of your life, and I don't mean in a bad way, I'm saying if you're constantly around them, there are little quirks that you're going to get upset about. There are things that is, you know, your fuse gets a little shorter and the ability to work through some of that instead of people leaving the commitment to make things work, unfortunately it causes people to jump to it. And you know, I'm not on a soapbox here about whether you should or should not stay married, but it's become so much more socially acceptable just to kind of give up on marriage so quickly. And that doesn't mean that people who are going to divorce are, are quitters. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's why we're seeing more and more cases. So I'm certainly learning what not to do. That's for sure. Has business picked up as a result of yes. folks being quarantined together? That's, that's funny you say that. We saw that coming because that's what happened in China. And so, you know, Nebraska shut down and we practice, I also practice in Iowa as well, because Omaha is right on the border and we shut down and we got really slow. Now, luckily, because of my real estate business, I was not necessarily affected, but I do know that our, our company slowed down a little bit like everybody did, but we had seen China go through it already. And we saw their uptick of a hockey stick right when they start pandemic didn't stop because it's, it's getting worse still. But when they started letting people out of the house again. People, uh, spouses said, holy cow, I didn't know I was signing up to be with somebody like that. I, I hadn't been forced to be with my spouse that long for a long time. I guess my other question is, and I'm not sure if this is part of your practice also, I've seen a lot of statistics where there's been some domestic violence injunctions. There's been an increase of that as well. Yeah, well, I mean, that is part of our practice. We do protection order hearings and domestic violence is part of a lot of cases. But yeah, we've certainly seen that as well. And um, it's unfortunate because cooping people up, not only put stress on the marriage, but it's putting stress on everybody's mental health as well. So it's been, it's been really unfortunate. I'm not saying that our business is skyrocketing with a huge smile on my face, but I'm certainly very busy. Yeah. I, I, I wonder, and in your experience, is there a lot of cases, because women a lot of times nowadays are breadwinners. Yeah. So you know, back then it used to be the man took care of the house and, you know, getting a divorce, you would have to give half to your wife. Do you see a lot of women now having to financially pony up to the ex-husband? Yeah, I, I do. I say it's cheaper to keep her. It's cheaper to keep her. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that's funny. I've never heard that. You're um, hearing some marketing slogans. I am seeing that. Now, look, we're still in the Midwest, so... It takes a while for the progressive mindset or just things progressively in nature to get inland, if you will. Even like things of joint custody, that has just really picked up in the last five years in the area. Whereas even only seven years ago, many of the judges were just saying, well, mom's the better parent without even really dissecting the case. Oh, and wow. things have certainly changed. So to answer your question, Selena, yeah, I'm seeing more of that financial perspective as well with, with, the, with the wives now earning more. They seem to be a lot better at realizing that it's just going to be 50-50 and they can actually handle that. I'm seeing a lot more of my male clients still having trouble going through the fact that they signed up for this team and just because they earned all the money doesn't mean it's all theirs. It's the marriages. Women are seem to handle a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, but <laughs> I can see that different times. Uh, it's a team thing, right? I mean, my wife is an attorney, so she has no problem making money on her own. It just so happens she hasn't worked for two years because we have two kids under two. And so she decided to stay home. And Congratulations. It worked for our, thank you. Thank you. And it, it worked for our family. 
But maybe it's because I'm a divorce attorney or maybe because I'm an empathetic person, in my opinion, a logical person with this situation, at least. It, it doesn't matter that I'm making all the money. I mean, she's sacrificing and she's doing a lot for our family too. And we're both investing in this relationship. So that's the number one thing people need to realize. That's for sure. Well, that's because you have the mentality of a modern day, you know, perspective. I think uh, some of the older folks don't see it quite. Oh, I, I know you're right. I know you're right. I've seen that. Let I mean, me ask you, have you ever a generational had, gap. Have you, yeah. have you ever had a case that you have regretted or even passed on to someone else because it's yeah. so, so much turmoil? All the time. I, I, honestly, all the time. Or, or a situation where you've said to yourself, maybe these kids are better off with someone else. Unfortunately, I see that as well. Now, as you, as you both know, I'm an attorney and I have a job to do. Just like a criminal defense attorney, I mean, they may not feel the best about their client, but they have a job to do. You know, it's up to us as professionals not to put ourselves in ethical situations where we're putting a client on the stand that's going to lie and we know it. But I, who knows if my inner feelings are correct or not, but certainly I've had times where I'm like, man, my client doesn't seem like that good of a parent. But in the end, it's my job to kind of help them through it. And if the judge makes a decision, the judge makes it a, shift, a decision. So yeah, I, I mean, I've seen it, but I think most attorneys... It'd be weird if as an attorney, you have 100% agreed with every client you've ever had. Some of the best decisions that we've made is turning down clients. And some of the worst decisions we've made is keeping clients. And Selena and I are always trying to work on our procedures. And it's more Selena has to protect me from myself on feeling sorry for the clients right. or, you know, saying at a certain time of the month, from a cash flow standpoint, we have to take the clients on. But I, I'm more and more, I'm just being a lot more selective in the clients that we take on and just sticking to the areas that are profitable as well as sticking to the areas that, you know, we enjoy doing, which are real estate closings and bankruptcy. Yeah, I'm, I'm much more selective. I, I don't want to sound like, especially because I have a boss, so I don't want to sound like I'm passing up on so many opportunities to, for, the, for the firm to make income, but there are times where I will pass it off on somebody else. I mean, if you can tell that it's going to be a headache or ultimately, especially in family law, if you can tell that they're the way they're viewing this case is just so backwards that you're not only are you not going to have a happy client the entire time, but the results not going to be what they want. It just seems, it doesn't seem to make sense or to be perhaps even a good business decision to take that client on. That's excellent advice, Chris. And the other thing I, I wanted to tell you is that certainly the best decisions you make oftentimes are not taking those clients out. I agree with you. Okay. So I, I have another question for you. My question is what techniques or lessons did you learn in the military that you're now applying to both of your businesses? Yeah, that's a good question. I actually had to answer that question just recently. I, the discipline factor for sure. I know that the military is known with, with discipline and that doesn't mean everybody in the military has discipline, but it certainly instills discipline or strengthens the discipline in people that maybe need a, uh, it helps no matter what, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So with that being said, when I'm juggling 60 family law cases and I'm juggling $40 million in assets under management, it can get easy to get lost in the sauce. And I think uh, the ability to wake up early, there's another military thing that <laughs> I had to learn and kind of set my goals out and, and prioritize. I think that's kind of helped, helped me in my life after the military. So I'd say discipline, number one. 
Okay, excellent. So let's transition a little bit. So I guess my next question is, you're a full-time attorney. How did you get into the real estate business? And can you tell us a little bit more of the exact nature of Park Avenue Capital? Yeah, I, with many professionals, I quickly learned that there is, there is certainly something that is real called the golden handcuffs. And I'm, I, I don't want to sound unempathetic to anybody going through a hard time right now, but many attorneys, not all for sure, but many attorneys, if they're making good financial decisions are relatively financially comfortable, especially to other people who have a lot harder things to go through. But I learned quickly, I, I was hired by that national chain in 2013 and I worked so much and I made good money. But I realized that the minute, quite literally, the minute I stopped working, I stopped making money. And that freaked me out a little bit. I was seeing the things that families were going through where one of the spouse had to work all the time or one of the spouses didn't have a chance to spend time with their children. Or I've seen other attorneys even who you can tell they're that old decrepit attorney who just hates the world because they've been doing this <laughs> one thing their entire life. And it's like, I don't want to be that person. If I'm going to be an attorney, then I want to choose to be an attorney, not because I have to, because I want to. And that's kind of the role that I took. Uh, that's kind of the mindset I took starting in 2013. And, and I knew the only way to accomplish that was with passive income. And I knew the best passive income was through real estate. So that's what we mailbox, started. Pure mailbox money, right? Mailbox money. It is the most, I always hate, I always sound like a kind of a jerk saying that, but when you wake up on the fifth and all of a sudden a large amount hits your account and you didn't do anything for it over the last 30 days, it, I don't know how someone couldn't get excited about that. Now, of course we have put a lot into work into getting to that place, but mailbox money does, does exist. So Excellent. let me ask you, did you start by buying properties and just charging rents? I mean, teach me because I want to wake up on the fifth. And just, <laughs> we're we're writing this like down. You. you know, when I grow up, I want to be like you. We uh, want no. mailbox money and nice paintings in the background of our video. Oh, yeah, great. Well, now I sound like an insensitive. No, not at all. We love you, Chris. You're, no. you're our new best friend. You're going to teach <laughs> me how to earn mailbox money. I'm like, uh, I love this. Teach me more. <laughs> okay, well, fair enough. Mailbox money doesn't happen on, on day one. That's for dang sure. You don't just say, I want in real estate, and it happens. Now, it can happen for many passive investors, meaning if you choose the right partner and you put in your money, it's just like the stock market. It's much better. But what I mean is you can see a return on day one. You can see your asset be worth more on day one. And so for us, we started with single family homes and I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew real estate was right. And so in 2013, we bought uh, our first single family home and my dad is salt of the earth. He could build a home out of twigs and rubber bands. He could do anything. And I am the exact opposite. I cannot fix anything. I pay people to change my oil. I don't think about it. I, I don't want to think about it. I'm not, I'm not a handy person. So that allowed us to spend time together. But the problem was it took us a year to fix up this home, run it out, and then move on to the next one. And four years later, we had four single family homes that made like $200 a month in cash flow but we had spent four years and every weekend on a second job and I wasn't leveraging anything. And in 2017 is when we formed Park Ave Capital and said, something's not right here. And that's when I jumped into multifamily. 
And since then, we've acquired over almost, almost 800 units in just three wow. years, whereas opposed to four years, it took me <laughs> to get four units. So that was a very long answer to your question, Selena. No, no we, we want to know. Multifamily. I'm writing this down. <laughs> Multifamily. I think, I mean, I could just talk forever about the reasons you, it's important, but the reason it's benefits, beneficial is that, you know, if they have 50 units in a building and five people leave, you're still 90% occupied. So you're still getting income from 90% of the people. The risk, is, the risk is allocated a lot more, is a yeah. lot, excuse me, a lot less if, the, like, if you have more units. You just spread out. Yeah, you, you mitigate the risks. If you had a single family home and they leave, you're now 0% occupied. So that only makes sense. Yes, if I could look backwards, maybe I'd change some things, but I also learned a lot. But it's all about multifamily investing. And so now what we've done is when I say leverage and partnering and all that stuff, not only am I no longer swinging the hammer myself, I'm hiring experts to do that so that I can turn it quicker. But I'm also take we are taking on partners. And I don't, I, I'd love to say it was me, but our $40 million in assets under management, it's not like I wrote a $40 million check myself. We take on partners. We take it, we syndicate our deals. And so they're able to get into these properties. They don't have to worry about swinging the hammer or dealing with bugs or dealing with tenants. And then quarterly or monthly, they get a, their passive income. And it's truly passive, but it's taken us a long time to get there. Could you explain to our listeners that aren't familiar with the term, could you tell us what real estate syndication means? Yeah, for, for sure. Well, I am an attorney, but I'm not an SEC attorney, so sure. I'm not trying to give legal advice here. But we, we, uh, do, we do handle those types of matters, but just for the novice investor, again, this is purely for informational purposes. We're not giving legal advice. Yeah, great. Well, so so – it's easy when my dad and I were buying properties, him and I would partner on something. We were both active in it. And um, if someone called at 1 a.m. to go fix it, it would be one of us or both of us. And that was the partnership. The syndication came where we started taking on money from either very passive partners or partners we didn't even know. Uh, they had money to give us. And obviously, uh, you know this much better than I do, Steve, but with the SEC wanting to protect these investors, of course, they wanted to make sure that we were dealing with, that we all knew what we were getting into. So we had to sign documents stating that they understood it was a risk, but it's a passive investment. I understood I had to take care of them by checking a bunch of boxes. And that is what allowed us to grow so quickly is that everyone's kind of protected by this legal box of the SEC and it allows them to be protected so I can't just run off with their money. That's not a guarantee that someone couldn't do that, but they're certainly much more protected. And then it also makes me sign up to admit I know what I'm doing and I'm going to protect them as well. Was that a decent explanation, Steve? That was a very sound explanation. Right. So generally speaking, if you have a new project, what is the minimum investment that an investor could get into? And also just, and again, I know every transaction is different, but just give us an idea of what the financial reward would be if I would invest in one of your projects. Well, I think it's easiest to explain it with a round number like 100,000. Now, most of our, most of our investments, the minimum is 50,000. Uh, we've certainly take on, we've taken on people at 25, but usually our minimum is 50,000. You might have 20 people in on the investment, all at 50,000, and then you buy a property, but it's, 
it's easier, easier to conceptualize the, the financial portion if we use a round number like 100. So someone invests 100000 with us, and the way we structure that deal is they get a preferred return, meaning there's no guarantee that it'll be a return. Hopefully, if you're choosing the right syndicator, you are going to get one. But any return that does exist, that passive investor who's titled a limited partner, because they're not really active, they're, just, they're, mm-hmm. they're a limited partner, they get the first 7% of the return. So if throughout the entire year, the cash flow comes out to be exactly $7,000 in relation to their 100,000, they get all of it, we get none of it. That's the risk we take, so we better know what the heck we're doing because we don't actually start, we being the the general partners or the people who are active in it, Mm -hmm. we get money over that preferred return. And that is where we'll divide whatever the, uh, additional amount is. So a $100,000 investor will get the first 7%. And then anything over 7%, most of our deals, we structure a 70-30 split, meaning that the passive investor still gets 70% of anything over 7%. And us as the GP, we get 30% of that. Now we've structured it many different ways where there's a 7% preferred to the LP, and then the next 3% is preferred to the GP, and then anything over the 10% is 70-30. But either way, that's the roundabout way we do it. Okay, great. And so that really is a good opportunity for a lot of investors to diversify their portfolio. Do you guys also accept retirement funds like IRAs and things like that? Do Definitely. those investors invest in your projects? Definitely. In fact, we see that's becoming more and more popular because people are, I'm not here to, to crap on the, on the stock market. If I had to choose one or the other, I'd choose real estate all day. Hands down. No question. I don't even want to. As would I. Real estate. Yeah, me too. It's safer. It's, yeah, I think it's way safer. It makes sense. The returns are through the roof, but there's, I, I also have financial advisors and people in my family who, who care about the stock market. So I'm not trying to trash it. What I'm saying is I think it's important to at least diversify. So if you have someone who has a good save up in their, in, their, in their investments through the stock market, I don't think it's smart to have all of it in the stock market. You can then use some of that money and you can actually invest in some of these syndications. Now, I'm not a financial advisor, so I'll let people ask these questions. to their And why are we giving financial advice on this podcast, but this is just for informational purposes only. <laughs> the way our investors do it is they work through a qualified person who can help them self-direct one of their investment accounts, their IRA. Yep. So for round numbers, let's say for some reason they have $200,000 in the stock market and they want to choose a hundred of it to start investing in syndications. They would branch that hundred off into a self-directed IRA. There are other ways to do this. And then that IRA will actually invest into the syndication. Mm-hmm. Now any returns will go back into that IRA but it's a way to use that money to, to, to gain returns outside of the stock market. They can self-direct it into something else. And that's how we're actually seeing that from a lot of people. That's excellent. So let me ask you, if someone wanted to invest um, with you, how, how do people go about that? A lot of people want to get into real estate or aspects of real estate. And they're like, well, who do I call if I want to put you know, money toward anything, they don't really know where to go. So do they just, they call you and say, Hey, Chris, I got $50,000 here for you. 
You know, honestly, with social media and how easy it is to get a hold of people now, I, I'm on the phone a lot. And if it's somebody who knows what they're doing, meaning if they've had a little bit of experience in real estate, especially if they've had experience in syndications, they know how it works. And so they kind of call me just to get a feel for me. Because in, in all reality, even though people are investing in real estate, they're really investing in the, in the sponsor. Yeah. And how I mean, do we real get, how do great. We get in touch with you? What's that? How do we get in touch with you? I'm sure you, if you want to let our listeners yeah. know, you know, your various social media accounts and yeah. we'd, love to, we'd love to promote that. And we'll, we'll also in the show notes include that as well. So if you could let our listeners know. Yeah, I'm Chris at parkavinvesting.com. That's my email. You can find me on LinkedIn at Chris Pomerlu. Our website is parkavinvesting.com. And there's plenty of items in there you can fill out, which will notify us that you're interested. Uh, we also have a, a free report at partneringchecklist.com. I suggest people check that out. It's just a, a free report that kind of explains some questions you should ask somebody if you're interested in partnering with them. And that's something that we, we offer to, to people as well. Excellent. Fantastic. So what particular areas of the country do you invest in? And if you could also give us a, a snapshot yeah. of what the market looks like in those areas. Here in the Midwest, we started in Omaha by the fact that we, we live here. We obviously have realized since we were very lucky to be investing in the Midwest. Uh, it's not volatile like the coasts, and it stays pretty consistent. So we're now about, we're in a three-hour radius of Omaha. So we have properties in Omaha. We have properties in Kansas City. We have properties in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We're moving into the Des Moines market. We like it to be relatively close so we can drive there and check things out, but not so far away that it takes a lot to get there. And the reason we like the Midwest is because, like I said, it's, it's less volatile, still population growth in many of these cities, and you're not playing the appreciation game. I'm not buying something in San Diego hoping that it doubles in value next, next year. I'm buying something that kind of steadily increases in value, but we can force the value to go even higher by running it as a business much better. So that's why we like the Midwest. Excellent. And what is the largest property that you guys currently hold, unit-wise? Unit-wise, 87. Oh, wow. Okay. And are, do you have some deals in your pipeline right now? And, and has COVID canceled any deals? Or what, do you, what are you seeing in yeah. a kind of a post-COVID type of market? I feel that from a business perspective, we have benefited from COVID. I know that's a terrible thing to say out loud, but many of the mom and pop owners have become, in my opinion, a little worried about what's happening in the world. And so they're kind of frantically trying to get rid of their property. And we've been able to buy up those properties at a good rate, at a good value. It has not stopped our business. We continue to grow. And it's just changed the way we approach things. So we're certainly underwriting these deals much more conservatively. We're, we're planning on future vacancies. We're planning on some job loss. And if they still make sense, then you got to take it. I, I always tell myself, and I do a, 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 a new investor webinar, and I always tell my new investors that money is made on the buy. So if you buy it right, you can't go wrong when you're looking to sell. And obviously, the lower basis, the more opportunity for right. growth. Yep. I've heard that phrase many times. I, I couldn't agree more. Are you seeing or preparing for an increase in 
potential eviction cases because of COVID? Well, they're just now letting people evict again. About a month ago, we started up in this area. It's different per jurisdiction. You know, we haven't seen an effect in our properties yet. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we are in the Midwest. I think that out of all of the units I just told you about, I, I just had to answer this question the other day. I think it's maybe three of the almost eight, of the 800 wow. that have used the COVID excuse. Wow. You have some good tenants. Good I think you. that we buy B and C classes that haven't been affected by it. And we're in the Midwest, right? That doesn't mean that I didn't have four, five, or six. Maybe them, maybe these tenants just didn't pay the rent that month. But that's just kind of part of the business, and they didn't utilize the COVID situation as their excuse. If that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're still over 95% occupancy throughout our entire portfolio. Wow. Yeah. Good for you, because in Florida, we're still under the eviction moratorium. Okay. And we pro- I probably get, and I don't handle tenant cases unless it's like a certain circumstance and I feel sorry for them. And then Selena gets mad at me when I take those <laughs> cases on. But, but generally, uh, we get probably four or five calls a day as it relates to tenant questions. And then we have a friend of ours, Jamie Michelle Kane, who was on our podcast previously. She deals with investors in New York, and the tenant laws in New York are so restrictive that a lot of folks are, are leaving that market. So right. that's so refreshing to hear, Chris, and we're so happy for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And so now we're going to, we've talked about your legal practice. We've talked about your real estate business. Now we're going to transition a little bit and get a little silly and ask a couple silly questions before we go to the lightning round. Okay. Lena, you want to start off? Yeah. I want to know, because I keep asking this to everyone we interview, (laughs) but have you watched Game of Thrones? Is anyone binging on Game of Thrones during COVID? I mean, I, I had already seen all of it before COVID. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I, think that, I think that anybody who hasn't seen it is doing themselves a great disservice. Okay, okay so here's my question. Jon Snow or Daenerys Targaryen? That's really tough. I want to be as manly and awesome as Jon Snow, so it's kind of hard <laughs> for me to, to not say his name, but there's something awesome about Daenerys, so I'm going to go with Daenerys. Yeah, she's got dragons. Well, I guess that's probably a pretty big thing. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Okay, so during COVID, what new skills or techniques have you gained? I I learned how to make pizza now. I I can code a little bit. I can design websites. My social media game has definitely increased, and we've started this podcast. So Lena and I have definitely kept busy during COVID. (laughs) Social media. I hate to recycle something you said, but I mean... okay. I didn't have a LinkedIn account before COVID. Well, you've done very well. You've got a lot of followers. You're doing great. That's uh, how I met you is on LinkedIn. I know. I didn't even have an account before that because, you know, I was in the military. Well, you don't, not, not many people in the military need LinkedIn. That's not true. But what I'm saying is I had a job and then I got out and I had a job and I just didn't really think about it like that. But now that I realize I have a business to grow. So social media in general, I mean, I, I haven't really ever been a part of social media like this. So that is certainly something we're trying to fine tune. And realize, coming to the realization, I don't have to get carry out every day. Good. Cooking. We love, yeah, we're getting better at cooking now. So what, what is your signature dish that you cook? My signature dish? 
Mine's turkey taco. So if you want to steal that one, you can. Nice. I'd say, you know, I've gotten really good with the pressure cooker. So I make a couple of things with the pressure cooker, which I know maybe people think is kind of cheating, but I make this, okay. this, it's like this healthy keto taco mix. And then I make this Indian dish called Saag, S-A-A-G. Ooh. Yeah. Those that are my go-tos. Good. I've never tried making Indian food, but I probably Either. should. Oh, it's so good. It's my favorite. My, my I wife. Have, I have the marsala sauce in, at home, and okay. I just haven't been brave enough to try it yet. Oh, you have to. <laughs> Indian food is, if not my favorite, at least my second favorite. It's food. great. Yeah. It's my favorite, so. Oh, then you have to. Get yourself yeah, a I'm going to have to. I'm going to look up a recipe. Pressure. Go to, yeah, get online. Pressure cooker, Indian food, something super easy. There's so many good things. I love it. Nice. So I'm going to ask you one last question. And my question is, and this is a debate we have mm. on our podcast. And I'm not sure if you're a basketball fan or not, but everybody, even if you are or you're not, everybody likes to weigh into it. I am. The GOAT, Jordan or LeBron? Jordan. And why? Because why? Have you seen The Last Dance? I have. And that's a big topic on the... I, I'm going to tell you this, and Selena's going to get a little upset. So I've always kind of leaned towards being a LeBron advocate and the reason why is like growing up I, I played basketball and I was a big Knicks fan and Jordan used to break my team's heart every year so I had an inherent bias against Jordan but after watching that show oh yeah that, I, I mean I've kind of I'm at least neutral now I think okay here, here's my round of, I, Jordan's my answer but I think you could take LeBron and put him in a number of sports and he would be the best athlete throughout the entire sport, which is really tough to say. He would be an all pro wide receiver or tight end in the NFL. He is a beast. He's pr probably the most athletic we've seen, but, and he's also doing a lot by way of giving back, bringing a lot of his family and, and friends that he grew up with and, and, He's much more socially involved. Yeah, which, I mean, I really admire him about all of that. I, I really admire him. And that's something Jordan didn't do. He has that right. famous phrase where he just, eh, Republicans buy shoes too. That's right, um, that's right. And I respect LeBron for saying stuff because I don't care if you're an NBA player or you're, I don't understand why me at Starbucks gets to voice my opinion, but LeBron doesn't. That doesn't make any sense to me. People say shut up and dribble. They, they should just shut up. So, But I know you're not trying to get too political here, so I'll close my mouth. I'm saying that I respect everything about LeBron, but Jordan changed not only the game of basketball, but the thought of what an actual sports role model is. The world changed because of Michael Jordan and Nike and people putting money into him. So that's why I'm, I'm giving him the, my vote. Okay, great. Selena? I'm going to stick with Jordan just because he's from my era. <laughs> when I was younger, but the superficial reasons, I think he made the better sneaker. I think he's more likable. And I think he was a better team player. I feel like with LeBron, it's, it's a lot about LeBron. So mm. I'm just going to judge, but I am going to ask you this. What do you think about, and I'm always getting into politics. This is why I get in trouble so much, but oh, I'm fine with that. What do you think about the status of the NFL players and, and all these players with the anthem? And, and now, like you said, like LeBron, speaking You're going up, there. I like it. You're oh, going I'm there. I'm going there. I'm always going there. I'm in trouble. 
I think Chris is in the military, so I'd love to hear it. I, I can't say that my opinion is going to match everybody's in the military, but many of the people I respect still that I know from the military, in my opinion, they know what they're talking about when they say, I did not fight, me, Chris, I did not fight for anybody's freedom. I didn't go to actual war. I have heard people say this, and it's true. They have fought for people to have their voice. And if your voice is that you want to kneel, which, by the way, he was told to do that by a soldier anyway. If your thought is to kneel, to draw attention to something, you're not shitting in the face of somebody in Nam in 1972. That's not how that works. It's just to draw attention to a serious problem that we have, and it's a very respectful way. So in no way do I take any negative feelings towards somebody kneeling to draw attention to something. That is the reason we have a military and or that we protect our citizens. Everyone is protected is so they're not part of this dictatorial dictatorship that doesn't allow them to voice their opinions. And so I'm all, if you want to voice your opinion that way, you should be able to do it. This, that was, that's an excellent answer. And that's probably the best answer I've ever heard, especially somebody that was in the military. It's, it's refreshing to hear that. Okay. We're jumping in the lightning round. You ready, Chris? I'm ready. Okay. Burgers or tacos? Burgers. Oh, interesting. Because you said your go-to recipe was a taco mix. That's very That's because I can't cook. So it's really easy okay. to make. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Ocean or mountains? Ocean. Oh, shoot. I thought you were going to say lakes. I don't know why I went there. I, look. Oh, gosh. Mountains. Okay. Excellent. Uh, sunshine or rain? Sunshine. Hugs or kisses? Hugs. And last but not least, drum roll, please. Up or down? Up. Excellent. Chris, thank you so much. And this was a great conversation. And yeah. be careful what you wish for, because we had a great time with you. We'd love to have you on in the future. Well, no, no. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This has been a great talk. And thanks for just tackling a bunch of different issues. That was fun. That's what we do. That's what we do. Okay, and could you just, before we, before we close out, could you just give us all of your social media accounts again so our listeners, if they're interested in investing with you, or if they have, God forbid, if they have a family law issue in Nebraska <laughs> or Iowa. They don't want do my advice. Content. They don't want my advice. Cheaper to keep her. Just keep going. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. Hey, Chris. Uh, our website is parkavinvesting.com. Um, my email is chris at parkavinvesting.com. You can find me on LinkedIn at, at Chris Pomerlu and, you know, Facebook, Instagram. I, I, love, I could talk all day about any of this stuff. So how do we get you on the gram? Because I didn't hear I didn't hear your Park Ave Capital. OK, great. Well, thanks so much and stay safe out there, my friend. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Lena. Thank, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Attorneys Are Human 2. Please subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast host. Please also leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to seeing you next time.